Well, we're in this season that the world calls Christmas, and as we know, Jesus wasn't actually born in December, but uh, as we shall see, there are some things that did happen in this time of year in, in the Hebrew month that we call December here, but in, 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 in Hebrew, it's uh, Tevet, amen, and we're going to be looking at some things this this month and studying. We, we never really completed the life of Christ. All we did was the first missionary journey, so sometime next year we'll, we'll come back to that and going to studying about the life of Paul. Amen. But I thought we would, since it's a, 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 we're in the Christmas uh, theme, we would study uh, this, this, this theme about the sign of the virgin, because there's something special that God gave Israel to tell them that he was going to do something. And our focus scripture is from Isaiah chapter 7, And verse 40 says, therefore the Lord himself, he wasn't going to leave it to a stand-in. There is no substitute for God. Amen. You can't, you can't substitute anyone else for him. He, through history, chose uh, great men, but none of them were perfect. They all had faults. They all failed at different times. So in the end, he had to come himself. It says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And that was probably something that, although it stated it, uh, in the time it was given, they didn't understand what that full meaning was. They did not believe that God could actually take on a permanent uh, human form for 33 years. They didn't believe that that was possible. So we're going to be studying that this month. And this week we're going to do um, the start of it, the seed of the woman, the very first prophecy in Scripture in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And then we're going to look at this interesting thing that the Scripture tells us in uh, the New Testament about the woman being saved in childbearing. Now I see some of you women smiling. And I'm so glad I'm not a woman because I've been at some births and it doesn't look very nice. <laughs> Looks pretty painful. You know, they say women have a higher pain tolerance than men. And all you women who have had children, all you women who have had children, raise your hand. Wow. In fact, it's almost all of you have had children in here. And uh, it's amazing when you look at the world population, you know, I was there at the birth of all four of my children. And it's amazing that there can be eight billion people in the world. And every single one of them had to come by childbirth. Yes, there are quite a few C-sections, but the majority were done the the way God designed it. And it looks impossible that that big old baby, five, six pounds, can ever uh, be delivered uh, that way. It looks impossible. But that's how God designed it. We're going to be looking at what the Scripture spoke about the woman being saved in childbearing. And we're also going to look at this interesting thing Uh, Life in the blood. The fact that the baby always has the father's blood. In fact, that's how one of the ways they used to test whose child it was. Got to do a blood test. Right? Because it's got to have the father's blood or it's not the father. That man is not the father if the blood is different. But we have to have the father's blood. Hallelujah. To be his child. Amen. So we're going to look at life in the blood, and then we're going to also look at, if we have time, the love that God has for us. He said, listen, a mother, if a mother will forsake her nursing child, 
If that is possible, my love for you is not is above that, is greater than that. Amen. You know, even in the animal world, you see you see um, uh, bears protecting their 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 um, cubs, and even in the animal world, God has put that instinct of protection. Well, He has promised us that even if it were possible for your mother to abandon you, He would not. He would not abandon us. And so God has a love like no other. And in fact, in my message, I'm going to be talking about that. And then finally, we're going to talk about marriage. Because the virgin, the seed of the virgin, all goes to the fact that we are the bride of Christ. The church is likened to be the bride of Christ. So for this week, our theme scripture is from Genesis 3.14. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. When God came looking for Adam and Eve, they were hiding. They had made themselves coverings, because they had lost that, that covering that God had given them, the glory, the aura that had glowed, I believe, off of their skin, just like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they sinned, the Holy Spirit was lost from them. They became just flesh, blood, and a soul. They didn't have the glory of God covering anymore. And the Bible says they saw that they were naked. And they tried to make something to cover themselves. You know, when we sin, the first thing we try and do is cover up. (laughs) You ever caught a child doing something? Like, give you those wide eyes, like, like, who me? <laughs> then they start thinking. You can see the brain working, how they can get out of this. The cover-up. And usually the cover-up is what catches people, you know, because they look guilty. Adam and Eve were so guilty that they decided they had to hide from God. They heard the voice of the Lord walking. And so they made something that would cover the outside. But it wasn't good enough to take away guilt because guilt is on the inside. And you can't make a covering that covers the inside. Only God can do that. And that's why people in this world turn to all kinds of things trying to fix the inside. But it won't work because that covering can only come from God. And you know the story how he calls out and Adam says, I'm hiding. I remember when Chris was really small and he's told you this story. We'd play hide and seek and he would go and hide in the closet and I would say, are you in there? And he would say, no. (laughs) You can't hide from God. You cannot hide from God because that's just about how it goes. You know, no, I'm not in here. There's no hiding from God. The Bible says he knows when we wake up, he knows our coming in and our going out. There's no hiding from God. And you know how the story, the next thing Adam did was trying to blame the woman. It was this woman you gave me. <laughs> Isn't that just human nature? We don't want to, we don't want to admit. It was the woman. I mean, you gave me this woman. It's her fault. And to the woman, he said, well, why did you? He said, well, it was the serpent. The serpent deceived me. The serpent deceived me. And so finally he comes to the serpent and he says, and the Lord said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, 
Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I could teach a whole Bible study just on this one verse and the deep and profound meanings, what God is saying to what we call the serpent. In Hebrew, the word is nakash. And it comes from a Hebrew root word that means bright and shining or bronze, brazen. So this being was not really a serpent because we know that Adam and Eve had talked to it, right? You don't just strike up a conversation with a serpent, with a snake. If a snake starts talking to you, what are you going to do? <laughs> You're either going to run or kill it. <laughs> You're not going to have, how are you doing today? <laughs> no. So this was not a serpent as we know it. This was a being, as we have taught before, that had... Uh, reptilian, maybe reptilian type features, but had been placed in the garden, not as a creature to harm mankind, but as a a, a guardian. The Bible tells us that Satan was a, a cherubim, an angel, and or, or a seraphim, and he was placed in the garden there as a as a babysitter, as a guardian. But he decided that he wanted to be the chief. He wanted to be the top. In Ezekiel, he says, I will ascend onto the heights. I will sit on the, I will be like the most high. Pride. One of the worst sins because, as I've said, when you stole something, you knew you stole it, right? If you kill someone, uh, presumably you know you killed them. But when you're proud, you don't even know it. When you're stuck up, you don't even know. You don't realize that you're not humble. You can't know you're humble. Only someone else can tell you that. The moment you say, I'm so humble, you're not. You're not. We won't go into the details of this, but God then said to the serpent, listen, you know, your whole plan was to escape judgment by involving my children in your mess. He did the same thing. He thought if he could get them also to sin, then God would have a problem because he would have to destroy the pinnacle of his creation. And so he decided he would get them involved in his mess by deceiving them and telling them that they too could be God. That's what Satan will tell you. You're pretty good. You ever looked in the mirror and, you know, when you were young, you thought, man, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I got this going on. It's so easy to get big headed, isn't it? That's why I hate. I hate when people tell me nice things because Oh, that thing will creep up in there and you, you start to believe it. You start to believe that you're so smart and you can do stuff. It's so easy for that lie to get into your system. He said, look, this thing will make you wise so that you will know just like God. But in the end, it was a lack of trust in believing God's word, which said you shouldn't touch that. You're not ready for it. You can't eat it. Amen. And so he came to Satan and he said, you know, you're going to lose the glory that I gave you, the beauty that I created you with. The Bible describes him and says he was perfect. God cannot create anything secondhand or used or ugly. The Bible says he was perfect until iniquity was found in him. God gives all of his created beings choice because it serves him no benefit to have a robot. It doesn't bless God for you to just be a, a yes man. He wants you to choose him of your own free will. That is so valuable to God. 
The fact that he didn't make you come here today. That you chose to come here to worship him, to give him praise, to thank him, to lift him. That is so valuable to God. Because even though he's God, he can't make you do that. You have to choose him. He will choose you, but then you have to respond. You know, when, when someone is getting married, they, they you know, the, the classic way they go down on one knee and they, will you marry me? That's what God is saying. Will you choose me? But you still have to respond and say, yes, I will. Yes, I do. And we see here that Satan was trying to cheat uh, God's children out of the relationship. And for some time, it worked. His, his plan was to be able to, to, to bring them down to his level. To be able to, to steal their, their God-given immortality. Because when God created Adam and Eve... There was no expiration date. There was no expiration date. You know, when you go in the fridge, you usually check the the milk before you pour it out. The worst thing is you start drinking stuff, then you you, you get that taste in your mouth, and you go, mmm. You look on the date, and it was two weeks ago. (laughs) First thing I did when I came home was check the fridge before, because we'd been gone 10 days, and I said, you know what? I think we're going to need some milk. (laughs) But there was no expiration date stamped on Adam. He was created in God's image and in his likeness. But Satan came and stole that. He wanted that immortality body because he knew his one was now doomed. But what God told him, listen, you think you you got got round this. You think you're going to use my children as hostages. But in the end, all you're going to get is dust. To Adam, you know, he said... To dust, you're going to return. You're going to die because you disobeyed me. But even in God's judgment, there was a glimmer of hope. There was a glimmer of hope. There was a way out that God would come and make a way out. Genesis 3.15, as he continues to speak to the serpent, says, you think you've won. You think you got away with this. You think now because you knew I didn't want to completely destroy my children... That you could hold him hostage. But listen, here's what's going to happen now. He said, and I will put enmity. There's going to be a war now. What you did was a declaration of war. You can't be friends with Satan. You can't be friends with Satan. <laughs> Some people think they can be friends with Satan. That they can, uh, they can put one over on him. No, that will not work. Genesis 3.15 says that I will put enmity. There's going to be a war. Hatred. He hates you. If he's smiling at you, it's only he wants to kill you. Amen. If he's using someone to befriend you, it's because he wants to kill you. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There was a warning there to say, listen, you think you you, you destroyed uh, my plan of salvation, you destro- destroyed my plan of, of, of my sons. But one day there is coming another son. And it's going to be through this woman. Because the Bible says here, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Yeah, you, you're going to put some damage. There's going to be some pain now in this world. There's going to be some tribulation. There's things we're going to have to go through. But in the end, your head is going to get crushed. Amen. Your head is going to get crushed. So this is what we come out of Genesis understanding. 
that there was going to be enmity, a state of war between mankind and the serpent. And that their serpent was going to have a seed of a type. There will always be people when given a choice that will make the wrong choice. That's the proof that we have choice. Because if God wanted to, he could stop all evil by taking away choice. But what he would do in doing that is stop all love. Because if we had no choice, then you can't call it love. And so in order for God to receive genuine love, he had to allow the possibility of evil. And that is what it costs God. It costs God what you see in the world. And when I think about it, 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 it really makes me sad. I'm a, I try and understand how God must look down upon each of us and this world and what pain it must cause him to think of the beauty that he created. You know, as I said, I, I put a few pictures. We took hundreds of pictures. I only put a little pictures uh, of, of our trip. When I, when I went to this place and I saw just the raw beauty of it, and I thought, man... When we think what God originally created, and this is a cursed earth. This is not how it even was when he did it. This is still a fallen earth. The, the pain it must cost God when he looks on the choices that we have made. And I'm talking about me too. I'm talking about me too. You know, the pain. But he did that so that we could have the, the ability to come here freely today. And to say, Lord, I love you. I'm not perfect. I have made mistakes. But Lord, I love you. I'm going to fight the enemy. I'm not going to be his friend. I'm not going to uh, cozy up to him. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm not going to give up, Lord, because you have overcome the world. And he said, because he has overcome the world, we can too. Amen. So out of this, we saw that there was going to be a war, that the seed of the woman, which is Jesus, you know, it's singular, not plural, not the seeds, the seed of the woman was going to bruise his head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. So who is this woman? Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You know, the first covenant he made, he gave them the Ten Commandments, um, and Moses and all of the, the leadership added a whole bunch more. They ended up with about 613 uh, written laws that they should do and shouldn't do. But because we are flesh, nobody could keep it. Nobody could keep it perfectly. And God knew this even from the time of Noah. When Noah came out the ark, he said, listen, man's heart is evil continuously from his youth. You know, as I've said, there's been many times where these weird thoughts come into your head. And you have to say, where did that come from? Why am I thinking this crazy thought? You know, we, we now no longer have full control over this flesh. Paul tells us that in Romans 7. He says, it can't be subject to the law of God. Therefore, with the inner man, I serve the law of God. With the outer man, all I can do is fight. I can't give in to the enemy. I can't say, okay, I have no choice. I got to just do what... No, we can fight because the Bible says that we can be victors through Christ. Amen. He can bring our thoughts into captivity. So God, long time planned that there had to be a, a plan of redemption. There had to be a way of redeeming our flesh. Because this flesh is hopeless. That's why he allowed it to die. 
God's plan is for us to die. Did you know that? Either symbolically through baptism or physically through death. Because this body is going to go back to the dust. But the good news is, he said, let not your heart be troubled. In John 14, 6, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going away now to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. As I said, I've seen some beautiful sights. I can think of some. God has been so merciful, I've been able to see some sights. But none of them. I'd give them all up right now. For one more glimpse of heaven. For a vision of the glory of God. Nothing can be compared to heaven. That's why the Bible says that we have to make our calling and election sure. Many are called. Many are invited to come today to worship. Right? Many are called, but few, the Bible says, few are chosen, those that will receive and say, yes, I do. I accept your marriage proposal. So God knew that the, the, the flesh was weak. He said in verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers, because that covenant was about your performance. How good you could be. How, how accurate you could be of, of, of keeping it. But the new covenant is not based upon my performance. It's based upon his performance. And his performance is perfect. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin. Amen. The Bible says in Romans that we could become the righteousness of God. Think about that. That we could become the righteousness of God. That stinky old me, sinful me, could become the righteousness of God. Now, if that don't put a smile on your face... I don't know what would. That we could become the righteousness of God. Wow. That's a wow. There was a, there was a teenage friend of my daughter and that was one of her catch sayings. You know, she would say, that's a wow. That's a wow. That we could become the righteousness of God. Amen. That's a meditation verse right there. He says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers because that covenant depended upon your performance. You doing all of the correct offerings. You never breaking the law. You never taking God's name in vain. In the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant, they break. Although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. In other words, the covenant was almost, he's, he's typifying it here as a marriage relationship with Israel. And he says, they cheated on me. They went, as soon as they, things went good, they started going after other gods. They started seeing how the other nations did stuff. They started wanting stuff that they saw over there. In the Bible study I taught about Balaam, he tried to curse Israel and he found he couldn't do it. But he came up with another plan that did work. He told Balak, he said, look, all you have to do is go to their flesh. There's nothing spiritual I can do. I can't curse them. God won't let it. But listen, they always have a choice. What you've got to do is send all of your women into the camp. Send all your women who are, who are believers in, in Baal into the camp. And that worked. The men of Israel started seeing all these... Uh, Moabitess women's and they started their, their flesh got the better of them. And because of that, what he couldn't do by cursing them, he was able to do through this plan. 
the weakness of our flesh. So God is saying he's not going to make another covenant according to the one that he brought them out of Israel because that one was weak through the flesh, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts. That means the flesh can't get to it. Right? Because if it's in the inwards parts, he's talking about in your soul. That's why in Romans, Paul says, so with the inner man, I serve the law of God. Our desires, our intents, our thoughts should always be to do the right thing, to be pleasing to God. But this shall be the covenant. If you feel God speaking to your heart when you have messed up, that's God. That's the covenant speaking to you. That's not the one on stone. That's the one that broke. The one that stone was so rigid it broke because of the flesh. But he says, I'm not going to write it on a heart of stone. I'm going to take away a heart of stone. I'm going to give them a new heart. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. A lot of people today don't belong. They don't fit in. There's a lot of Especially in this Christmas season, there's a lot of loneliness, a feeling, well, they have their family, they have their get-together, but there's a lot of people that go through loneliness. I want to speak to you today and say, God is saying, you're going to be my people. They shall be my people. You can be in a family with God. See, in this scripture, it's speaking about the woman Israel as as a betrothed, as being... Um, engaged to Jehovah. Isaiah 54, 6, For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. You ever been hurt when, you know, when you're a teenager and you have a crush, right? And you find out they don't like you. They like someone else. Right? That just crushes your spirit. <laughs> when I went to visit uh, the home church of Sister Brownie, the pastor who is the bishop of the church, and I kind of grew up together. So he started telling stories. <laughs> he started telling stories from 40 years ago. He said, well, I knew Brother Mike had an interest. So us young guys got together, and I said, let's take a picture of Sister Yvonne. <laughs> and we'll all carry it. <laughs> and he won't know what's going on. <laughs> so when I visit... This guy's got a, her picture. This guy over there's got her picture. This one over there. What's going on here? I was beginning to get a little bit upset. Of course, she didn't know this. She didn't know why they all had pictures, but they were playing a joke on me. <laughs> See, sometimes we hurt God because we 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 play with other gods, so to speak. Now, it may not be an idol of stone or metal, but there are other things that we put before God. Maybe it could be our job. Maybe it could be our career. Maybe it could be a person. But the Bible says, I am a jealous God. See, God loves us. And if you're in love with someone, you're vulnerable. It means they can hurt you. Love means Having the openness to be hurt because you've invested in that person. Amen. It says, for, for a moment, 
have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. I want you to listen to that again. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. That's why even in the book of Romans, in I believe chapter 11, Paul says, listen, you Gentiles, yes, God has given you the Holy Spirit and all of that, but Don't think he's turned aside from Israel. He says, in the end, a remnant of Israel will be saved. Why? Because God gave an unconditional promise. And it's impossible for God to lie. This is how strong God's word is. He says in verse uh, 9, For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. He's saying, What I promise, my love that I promise, my kindness I promise is just as strong as the covenant I made with Noah. When God swore to Noah, you know what he did? He put a a bow in the sky. Before that, there had not been clouds, according to the scripture. There was just a mist. But he put a the sign of the rainbow. I think I preached on that one time. Every time you see that bow, it's God's covenant. And he says, for this is just as strong as the waters of Noah. The covenant, in other words, I made with Noah that I had sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I would not be angry with thee nor rebuke thee. Think about that. Did you hear what God just said? I swore that I would not be wroth, that means angry with you, nor rebuke thee. Think about that. You know, there's nothing you can do. There's absolutely nothing you can do about who you're born to. There's no way you can change whether you are a son or a daughter. The world may think there's ways, but the way you were born, you can't change who your parents are. Now, it's possible that you lose your inheritance because you do like the prodigal son and you just go away. But there is nothing that can be done about that blood relationship. Verse 10, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace, my shalom, be removed. There's a time you're going through and there's a lot of times when people get very sad during Christmas. You should read Isaiah 54 verse 10. For the mountains shall depart, the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not. That's why you can call on Jesus anytime. When you have a true godly repentance, when your heart is reaching out, this is what he says, for the mountains shall depart. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, the father was there every day. Every day. Looking for the son, even though he had done such a terrible thing, taken half his money, Did all kinds of terrible stuff. Did that stop the father loving him? No. But as I've said before, God's love is not like a piece of metal. It can't push you. It's like a chain. It can only pull you. And for you to be pulled, what you got to do? You got to hold on. Let's say it again. What do you got to do? One more time. What? Amen. That's what you got to do. You got to hold. God cannot push you because he's given you choice. But he can pull you, but only if you hold on. Isn't that what the scripture says? He that endureth to the end 
The same shall be saved. For the mountains shall depart. God is saying, if the mountains were to go down, grind down to nothing, and the hills be removed, but my even after that, my kindness shall... What he's saying, listen, I've given my word. There is nothing you can do to stop me loving you. There's nothing you can do to stop God loving. Now, that doesn't mean you will be saved. You have to respond to that love. In the story about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he says, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. And Jesus tested him. He says, well, you know, have you followed the commandments? Have you not done adultery? He says, all these, I've been perfect. What do I lack? He was so sure that based upon his performance... He was in good shape. And Jesus said, sell all you have and give to the poor. The Bible says he was very sorrowful. But that's not the point I want to make. What really jumped out at me is what it next says. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loved, looked at that man and saw the potential of what he could have been. But the fact that Jesus loved him was not enough. We never know his name. The Bible says he went away sorrowful because he saw his wealth and he actually loved something more than God. But God's love will not change. It's us that have to respond. He says for them, I'll read it for the fourth time, for the mountains shall depart. The hills be removed, but my kindness, my loving kindness shall not depart from thee. It wasn't the father that left the home. It was the prodigal son. Father didn't go anywhere. He was still there. Shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. You understand what God is saying? His love does not change. All we have to do is respond to it. The song that says, come running to the mercy seat. right? Amen. In fact, in Ezekiel 16, let me read this, what it says up here. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time of love. So I spread my wing, or covering really, over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you. There's been so many times when God has covered up my mistakes and my faults and my failures. That's what this scripture is talking about. He's, he's prepared to come. Isn't that the first thing the father did when the son came home? All raggedy, all torn up, all smelly, all covered in sores and dirt and grass. What's the first thing he did? Called for the best robe. The father's best piece of clothing. He said, go get it. Cover my son. This is my son. That's what God is saying. The sign of the virgin is that he is prepared to cover you. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and became mine, says the Lord. Then I washed you in water. When you were baptized, that was the symbol of your sins being made clean. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil. That's a symbol of being filled with the Spirit. That's what God has called us to. That is the sign of the virgin. In fact, in Revelation 
19 verse 17 said, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. See, we're in the betrothal period right now. But one day, it's going to be time for the wedding. As I said, last week, was the date was um, November the 26th. 19, what was it? No, 2022. And that was exactly 45 years from the date of the, the wedding, which was, I'm going to get it wrong now. <laughs> November 26, 1977. You know, and I, I can remember it. The, the date of the wedding. I was actually living in America and I had to fly back to, um, to England to get married. So I was counting down the days. See, I knew the date. But the Bible says, no man knoweth the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall come. But before he comes, there's going to be a cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. In his story, he said, at midnight there was a cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And of course, we've been hearing about that since we've been children, right? The Bible even predicts that that would be people's attitude Peter said, in First Peter says, from the time of the fathers I've heard Jesus is coming. He ain't come yet. Ain't come yet. And one of the, one of the messages that, I, that, that hit me when I was uh, doing some study was, was what, God, what it says in Hebrews about Noah before the flood. The Bible says he prepared an ark for something that had not yet ever been seen. What he was doing was not for something that was normal. It hadn't rained. Nobody had seen rain. The Bible said a, a mist came up. And so he prepared an ark, a huge boat in the middle of land for something. The Bible says in Hebrews, for something not yet seen. That's exactly what we're doing. This is God's ark. We're preparing it for something that has not yet been seen. But just like he came the first time, Surprisingly, the scripture says, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. See, God has prepared the virgin, the church, for the wedding. Then I washed you. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood and I anointed you with oil, filling symbolically of the Holy Spirit. So Israel symbolically was the woman in the sign. Romans 11.1, 1, and here's the scripture I talked about. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. For I would not, brethren, that he should be ignorant of this mystery, lest he should be wise in your own conceit. In other words, just because we believe we have the truth, we shouldn't look down on anybody else. Because it's only by God's grace. He says that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This period that we're in is only until the last person says, Lord, I choose you. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God has the ability to make a sovereign choice. 
Amen. As I said, you may hate your parents, but there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> They're going to be your blood forever. Amen. Now you can either choose to be in the inheritance and come back to father's house or you can choose to live in the pig pen and eat the pig food. The Bible says that the prodigal son, it came, came to his senses. And he says, you know what? This is stupid. Even the servants live better than how I'm living. Maybe if I go back and repent and say to father, just make me a servant. But God is so merciful, so loving. As I said, the first thing he did was cover him so that you couldn't see all the rags and all the mess and all the things he'd been through. That's what God wants to do to you if we will come to him with our whole heart. There's nothing more that I want than to be in God's arms, to be, to be close to him. I am sick of this world. I've lived long enough to know that it is all vanity. As, as, as Solomon said, vanity and vanities, it's all going to decay. You can't take none of it with you. It's only temper. It's only the unseen things are eternal. Anything you can see is temporary. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a brand new car, you buy it. The moment you drive it off the lot, it loses about three or $4,000 value. You can't sell it back to them for the same price you got it. You could turn around and say, I like to say, well, <laughs> you already drove it. Just the fact that you bought it. See, there's nothing in this world that you can see that is permanent. The Bible says it's the unseen things that are eternal. You know what that is? God's love. You can't see it, but you can feel it. You can feel God's love if you will come to him. Amen. So it says here that Israel is the sign. And in the Old Testament, God chose this prophet Hosea to, to kind of model the whole thing, his whole relationship. It's really a play. He tells Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. As I said one time, you didn't want to be a prophet in the Old Testament because God may ask you to do some things that didn't really sit well. Didn't sit well. God told Hosea, I want you to go marry, marry a prostitute because I want to use this, this whole, your whole life as a, as a, as a show. I want to, I want to really hit Israel to show them how I feel, what they're doing to me, how I, I got them and I delivered them. And as soon as they, I cleaned them up, they went back doing the same thing. Romans eleven fifteen says, for the casting of away of them be the reconciling of the world. It's talking about Israel. Because Israel backslid, so to speak, God turned to the Gentiles. But he always has intended that there would be a remnant. There would be some one day who will realize who he is. That the Messiah that they were looking for, they put to death. It says this, what shall be the receiving of them be but life from the dead. You see, as soon as the prophecy was given in Genesis 3.15 that there would be a son of God coming, that there would be a seed of the woman, Satan said, well, I can handle this. All I have to do is stop that from happening. And he has tried throughout history to do that, to stop the seed, to stop the coming of the son. In fact, he's still doing it now because now are you the seed? And he wants to destroy you. He wants to take away your sonship. 
He wants to make you fall. He wants your life to be a mess. And he'll do anything to succeed. So we see his hatred and the state of war has been from Genesis 3.15 until now. Because God said, listen, what you did was war. You tried to kill my children. And that's why you cannot be friends with the devil. You're, you're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to out trick him. You know, we always think we're stronger than we are. We always think we can, we can go right up to this edge and it'd be okay. I, I'm thankful to God that I learned in my teenage years that I wasn't as strong as I thought I was. Amen. I got inoculated early. Amen. Hallelujah. We see here that because of that, Satan has had this hatred for the seed through which the Messiah would come. Deuteronomy 31, 15, And the Lord appeared in the tabernacle in a pillar of a cloud, and in the pillar of the cloud stood over the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land. God was having a conversation with Moses because Moses several times God was going to destroy Israel and start afresh. And several times Moses pleaded with God and said, no, Lord, please don't, don't destroy them because everybody will say it proves you couldn't do it. You couldn't keep them. And the Lord told Moses, listen, once you die, they're going to do it again. They respect you, but as soon as you move off the scene, you watch and see what these people are going to do. They will rise up and go whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land whither they go to be among them and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them. See, it's not that God does stuff to you. It's you have left father's house. So you're open game. It's not that God is doing stuff. God does not make people sick. No. If I eat the wrong things or if I deliberately go and pick up stuff, it's not God's fault. Amen. When someone goes off a bridge and tries to kill himself, is that God's fault? No. They have made a choice. If you make a choice to go off and do your own thing, don't blame God. Don't blame God. God says they're going to go after other gods. And because of that, they're saying, I don't want your protection. You have made a choice. Then my anger shall be kindled against them and I will forsake them. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to listen to them. I don't know how to say this. How can I say this tastefully? There are times when we get calls for help of people that in my flesh I say, they don't deserve no help. You know, they, they may not come to this church. They're not, they don't contribute to this church. Right? Um, I, and most of the time we still help because we're doing it as unto the Lord. But what God was saying here, listen, if you, if you divorce me, don't come back asking me for help. If you, that's right, go, go to your new God. Go to your new God. Say, so my anger will be, I will forsake them and I will hide my face from them and they shall be devoured. And God knew what was going to happen. But it wasn't him doing it. It was their disobedience. And once the serpent knew, once Satan knew that it was through the Semitic line, he certainly has tried to destroy them. 
We see that happening so many times in history, starting out with when they went into Egypt, right? The Bible says after Joseph died, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And he says, these people are just too much. We've got to wipe out all the male children. He didn't know it, but he was a tool. Because in wiping out the male children, Satan was trying to stop the eventual birth of Jesus Christ. All through history we've seen that happen. All through history. All through history. At the time of Christ, the wise men came and they said, where is he that is to be born king of the Jews? And Herod didn't know. But he knew the Bible predicted it. So he called all the wise men and said, where, 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 is the, where is it supposed to be that the king of the Jews is born? And he called the scribes, I should say. And they looked it up in Malachi and it says, in Bethlehem, says it, no hiding it, no, no couching it, no trying to interpret it. It says Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it writes it out, Bethlehem. So he tells them and he says, but listen, when you go... When you find him, let me know where you find him so I can come and worship. Come back and report to me so I can come and worship. You know what he wanted to do, of course, was to kill the baby Jesus because he was a tool. If Satan could have stopped Jesus' birth, he would have, but he couldn't. Satan cannot stop your birth if you will just be obedient to Christ. He can't do it. He can't do it. But that hasn't stopped him trying. And we see that even up into recent history, right, where Hitler killed six million Jews. And other people too. He killed uh, Russians. He killed anyone who he thought was defective. Deuteronomy 31 said, Then my anger shall be kindled against them in the day, and I will forsake, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not amongst us? We see this again fulfilled, as I said, by Herod. Matthew 2.16, when Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, because they were warned, don't go back, tell him a word. Don't tell Satan your plans. Because you may get talked out of it. Well, I'm planning to go to church. We had someone call yesterday, wanting a pickup. <laughs> wanting a pickup, a man and a woman. And we said, okay, we'll try and arrange a pickup. But I know somebody, something, talked them out of it. They called us and said, oh no, something came up. Something came up. Don't let Satan talk you out of your blessing. It's so easy not to come. It's so easy not to come. But there is no greater thing than the Bible says that when we get together. Amen. They were in one accord in one place. Then when Herod saw that he was mocked of the wise men, this is the season we're talking about. Although we know he wasn't born in this season, we're going to go through because he was born. And these things did happen. When he found out he was mocked, he decided he would try and destroy the seed and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast there. What that's saying, he killed all the children under his dominion. Satan did not want Jesus alive because he knew what was going to happen. He knew if he, 
this son was born and, and, and fulfilled his destiny, he was going to crush his head. He knew the prophecy was coming. He just didn't know exactly where or how. So therefore, from two years old and under, according to the time when, which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Verse 17 tells us that this was prophesied. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet saying, In Rama was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. I heard a story on the news about a lady who, um, she was, she had her baby, I don't know where exactly, but the baby, they were on a cruise or something like that, or maybe they were overland and the baby fell in the water, I don't know if you heard the news, and she dove in to try and save the baby, but the baby still died and uh, she barely escaped with her life, she's in the hospital. See, if you are a mother and have lost a child, you probably understand what it's like to lose a child. So when he did this and slaughtered all the children from zero to two years old, you can imagine, it says there was weeping and lamentation and great mourning. In those days, the king had absolute control. He didn't have to answer to anybody. The only person Herod had to answer to was Caesar. And Caesar didn't care about him killing Jews. And there was great mourning. And this was a prophecy because it says Rachel, meaning the children, the descendants of Rachel, weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not, because they were killed. But we see that his plan to kill the seed didn't work because the angel came and warned Joseph, listen, Herod is seeking to kill the child. You need to leave and go down to Egypt. And so they went and Herod was not able to kill him. See, all of this was prophet. Do you understand that if we give our life to God, he will, he will protect us, he will guide us, he will lead us. Satan has not stopped his plan to try and destroy the seed. But you can be warned in a dream, in a vision, by the word, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he shall lead. Most of the time we don't listen. I don't listen. And... The Jamaicans used to have a saying, if you don't listen, you're going to feel. <laughs> you know, if, you, if someone tells you the stove is hot and you don't listen, and you decide you want to try it for yourself, then you're going to feel. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems to be the way we learn. You know, it's best to learn from somebody else's bad experience. But the truth is, most of our human nature, we only learn from our own bad ex and then some people don't even learn from that why is my head hurting me why is I don't understand well stop hitting it <laughs> but isn't that the truth if you look on our lives we keep going down the same path I've done that so many times. It's, but it's God's mercy. It's because he said, listen, my kindness will not depart. The father is still there with his hand looking for us to come. To come running to his house. To repent. To call upon his name. His kindness, he says, will not depart. The mountains will erode away. And my love will still be there. My love will still be there. 
See, the enemy's plan is still to destroy the seed. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, if you have been born again, you are his seed and you are heirs and joint heirs. That's why Paul says, why think it's strange, the fiery trials. He hates you, you know. You can't be friends with him. Or any of his buddies either. <laughs> he, he's very clever now. Satan's very clever. He don't come, he don't come looking like Satan. <laughs> he's not going to come with two horns and a pitchfork now. You are all smart enough to not have a conversation with that dude, right? <laughs> That's not how he's going to come. If it's a man, he may come like a pretty young woman. All soft-spoken and just with the right personality, just to make your mind go crazy, right? <laughs> if you're a young woman, he may come as, as a handsome, you know, six-pack, six-foot tall, dark, and handsome. Satan, the Bible says, transforms himself into what? And he knows exactly what buttons to push, right? If you let him get to that stage, you're probably doomed. Don't even let him get to pushing the buttons. He still seeks to destroy the seed. He hasn't given up on that plan. He wants to bruise your heel. You know, the thing about your foot is... it's what allows you to walk. And even though it may not be fatal, the fact that you've got a bruised heel means it slows you down. You can't do for God as what you used to do because he's bruised your heel. He still seeks to destroy the seed. Listen, if we will listen, God will warn us. He'll say, get out of there. He told Joseph, listen, Herod's coming. He wants to kill your son. He wants to kill the seed. You need to get out of there. But you know, all through the times when they tried to kill Jesus, and it wasn't the only time, remember? They surrounded him and kind of forced him up on top of a hill. They wanted to throw him off the hill. But of course, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Why? Because he was the king of kings. And he said this, no one takes my life, but I lay it down. I've said he could have stayed on the cross until the wood rotted if he hadn't decided to bow his head and say, into thy hands commend you my spirit. He chose his time of going and no one took it from him. Amen. I'm telling you that you don't have to let Satan take your salvation. Amen. But there was coming a time when the battle turned. All these thousands of years, Satan was on the 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 victory side. He managed to devastate Israel time and time again. Why? Because of the flesh. Because that first covenant depended upon our performance. It just kept on every time. Israel went through cycles. You know what? And we go through cycles too. Sometimes we're on top of the mountain. Right? We feel like we we, there's nothing can stop us now. We're almost in heaven. But Satan just knows exactly one word. Sometimes just one little word someone says to us. And the air just goes. And we go, we float back to the ground. (laughs) Someone let the air out of our bag and we just float back to the ground. You know, because he knows this flesh. Paul says it, neither can it be subject to the law of God. We have to submit it and die daily. 
I'm old enough now to kind of recognize a lot of the tricks Satan wants to pull on me. When I was young, I was, I'm, I'm strong enough. I'm, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm mighty man. Nothing can phase me. But now I, I know without God, I am nothing. But there came a day, there came a day where the tables were turned. It started when Jesus, the Bible says he was about 30 years old when he started his ministry. And he started it with fasting. Next month, at the first of the year, you know we're going to do a consecration. We want to start 2023 with a consecration. With, with, with really trying our best to start the year coming to God. And Jesus started his ministry by going off into the desert. The Bible says he was led of the Spirit. And I still didn't understand that he was led of the Spirit into the desert. Yes, sometimes you have to go into the desert to get some revelation. We see that with the life of Paul, right? When he left Damascus, the Bible says he went into the desert for three years. And it was there through a desert experience that God gave him revelation. Sometimes through your hardest desert experience is when you will grow is when you will get through some things, is when you will get some strength. And when he came out at the end of the 40 days, of course, Satan still determined to derail God's plan. He says, if thou be a son of God. Anyone here is a son of God? If if you're a son of God, could you raise your hand or a child of the king? Amen. Raise your hand. You know what that means? He's going to come this week. And he's going to say, if you're a son of God, why don't you just do that? It's within your power. You can do it, you know. I know you have the power to just, there's nothing wrong with turning this into bread. No, but there's a lot wrong in obeying you. (laughs) I don't get my marching orders from him, right? Jesus said, listen, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. That's what we got to understand. Our life should not depend on the things around us. There's nothing in this world that can give you another hour of life. It comes from God. And so you see that he started off his ministry with challenging who he was. Because Satan knew who he was, but he was trying to challenge his sonship. As I've said before, Satan will try and kill the seed. He will challenge your sonship. Amen. But of course, it didn't work. He thought he had won, though. He had Judas go and betray him. He thought, well, if I kill him, the only one place he can go, back to heaven. I can stay large and in charge. I can run this place. But then the big surprise, the big surprise is when the Bible tells us in Mark that the high priest said it's better that one man should die for the nation. And the Bible then says, the high priest said this not of his own will. God made him say it. In other words, he declared Jesus the sin offering. I really believe it was only at that point that Satan woke up. Wait a minute. What's happening here? What's happening here? That's, this was not the plan. This was not the plan. He was supposed to die and go back to heaven. Leave me alone. Leave me in charge. But if he dies now as the sin offering, he's coming down to my kingdom. He's going to take away my throne. He's coming to take away the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I believe it was only at that point that Satan realized what had happened. And then, of course, he sends Judas to change the plan. 
Oh, please don't kill him. I changed my mind. No, no, no. Here's the money back. Please don't let, don't let him die. But you know, God's plan cannot be defeated. He says, for this cause came I into the world. He said, if I don't die, our sins cannot be forgiven. He went to release all those righteous dead, however millions or thousands of them that had gone before. Bible said when he arose, he led captivity captive. In, in, uh, in um, Isaiah 61, he said he came to set the prisoners free. He came to set the prisoners free. See, we may not know the exact date, but the fact is he was born. He did come. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, being dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means made alive, together with him, having forgiven you. All. Let's say all. all. Turn to your neighbor say all. Does that leave anything behind? Does that leave any... Is it, when you say all, when you say all, does that mean there's any left? If there's none left, that means you are free. Devil wants to bring back my past and he tries to and I have to really tell him, listen, he said it's finished. You lost. Go back to your prison. <laughs> Go back to your abyss. Go back to your hell where you came from. That's what I got to tell him. It says, verse 14, blotting out. You know, when they do a freedom of information request, the government has the right to blot out certain things. They don't want you to know. And when they blot it out, you can't read it. They take a big old black marker and go, all the names are removed. Whatever it says, you don't know who it is. Satan, when Jesus said it is finished, it says blotting out the handwriting of the laws, the ordinances that was against us. All my failures, all my mi- mistakes, all my missteps, all my falling down, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. The cross was actually a victory. It was a victory, not a defeat. Let me say it again. The cross was a victory, not a defeat. Let me t- put that on us now. Our cross will not be a defeat, but it will be a victory. Verse 15 tells what he did. It says, having spoiled, that means taken away. In the old English, that means to take away. When, when an army spoiled the enemies, they took away all their goods. He took away all the righteous dead. Having spoiled all the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. When the Romans would capture enemies, they would drag them all to Rome and they'd have what they call a triumph. They would march them in chains all around the city and the people would cheer and throw rotten fruit at the enemy. Do you understand that's what Jesus did? He humiliated Satan. He humiliated Satan. He has no authority or power over you. The only thing he can do is deceive you is to fool you, is to make you think he does. But what does the Bible say? Submit to God. And then he will do what? He's got to run from you. The key, though, is submitting to God. The key is saying, Lord, 
I have no strength in myself. You be my strength. You be my high tower. You be my strong defense. You be my buttress. You be my wall. Bible says, and having done all to stand, stand in the evil day. Because the enemy can only bruise your heel. You're going to crush his head. The Bible says in, in 15, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, in Hebrews, it goes on to say we don't see it yet. We don't seem to see the fulfillment of it yet. Don't doubt it's coming. Don't doubt it's coming. Now, I, you know how I've, I've used the, the analogy of when the sheriff comes and evicts people. He comes and he pins the notice on the door and stamps it all around, and there's a date there. They have no, they have no legal right anymore to that house. That don't mean they clear out though. They just get mad and tear up the place. But eventually the day is coming when the sheriff's gonna come and put everything on the sidewalk. He's coming back to do that to the devil. Amen. Amen. If you could stand with me. Jesus is prophesied in Isaiah 26, 19. He said, thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body. Amen. And they shall arise. See, it was prophesied that Satan would not be able to keep the prisoners. Jesus, in Matthew twenty-seven fifty, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghosts. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. From the top to the bottom. Now that, that veil was 70 feet high, so... God did it that way so no one could say someone at the bottom ripped it. It ripped from the top to the bottom. And the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. You know that story where he had tried to kill the seed? And he was able to kill many thousands of children? Well, in Jeremiah... The rest of that prophecy, and I I know I've taught this before, goes on. You know, all the women were weeping. Thus saith the Lord. Refrain thy voice from weeping and thy eyes from tears. For thy work shall, say shall. That's not maybe, if, or possibly. It shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they shall come again from the land of the enemy. God was saying, listen, I know all those children were killed just because I came in fleshly form, but they're not lost. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. We're talking about the sign of the woman, and we're in the month where we celebrate his first coming. But even greater is going to be his second coming. This time the sign of the woman is the church. This time the sign of the woman is the church. The promises that God has made. He said, as I'll say it again for maybe the tenth time. The mountains are going to have to go flat. The hills are going to have to be removed before I take my kindness from you. If you could just meditate upon that and understand God's pledge that he will never leave you nor forsake you.
Amen. And if our heart, if we will take his commandments and write them on our hearts, hallelujah, he is going to take us through. He is going to take us through. Amen. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you today for your word of salvation, your word of love, your word of promises to us, Lord God, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we ask you right now to continue to write your message on our hearts. Yes, this flesh will fail, but Lord, we kill it every day. We mortify it every day with your word. Lord, we ask you right now to just rain down upon us in this month blessing and favor. Hallelujah. Kindness and love. Lord God, healing and deliverance. We lift up your name and we give you all the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Let's give God a praise offering.